Good morning. So good to get to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. I just want to say welcome. If you need anything while you're here, please let us know so that we can serve you. Uh, A couple of announcements. While I'm making these announcements, if you want to join us in Revelation 18, the very last book of the Bible, and nearly the last chapter, we're getting very close to the end of Revelation. That's where we'll be, chapter 18. Uh, But by way of announcement, we have a couple of things to remind you. If you took a shoebox home uh, to fill up, please get those back in by next Sunday. You can drop them off throughout the week if you're around or if you just want to bring those to church with you next Sunday, please get those back in. That is the last day to get them here. Also, don't forget about our Thanksgiving outreach. We uh, have a table in the middle of the fellowship area that has all of the supplies that you need. Basically, you sign up to provide a meal for a family in the community this Thanksgiving. Then you take a little slip that tells you the seven things you need to purchase, a turkey, potatoes, all that kind of stuff. You don't need to cook the meal. That's the good news. You just purchase the supplies. We, We will connect you to a family in the community and you can deliver those supplies to them. So please stop by that table if you want to help with that. I think we have about 35 people so far who have volunteered uh, to provide a meal. We'd like to get that up closer to 50 if we can. So if you wanna be a part of that, uh, today's the last day to uh, sign up for that. So please do so if you plan on doing that. Don't forget tonight is our, uh, we have these kind of one-off Sunday evening services. We don't have Sunday service every week. Uh, We're kind of moving to, just to let you know the thought process, we're sort of moving towards having a once a month Sunday service, Uh, but we're going to finish out 2023 with just this one. We won't do one in December. The purpose of Sunday evening services is a little bit backwards from Sunday morning. The purpose of Sunday evening service is we want to train up and give opportunities to people uh, who, who have the giftings of preaching and leading worship. And so we have a certain standard, certain expectation on Sunday mornings. And, um, you know, there's only so many Sunday morning opportunities. There's only 52 a year. And so we've created this opportunity for, for some, um, some preachers and some worship leaders who we think have potential to potentially um, lead on Sunday mornings to practice, get reps in on Sunday nights. And so we do two sermons. They're usually about 20 to 25 minutes. So we've got a couple of guys, Garrett Brumbaugh and Michael McKee, who are preaching tonight. Both these guys have done a great job so far in in preaching. And then the worship team will look a little bit different as we shuffle things around and say, well, we'd like you to try this or we'd like you to do that. And so the the focus on, on Sunday evenings is more so development of the people on the stage. That doesn't take away the value at all for those who come and receive. And so it's a great opportunity to come hear the word, to worship together uh, with your church family. So we invite you to come out and be an encouragement to those who are um, pursuing, uh, sharpening and honing their skills a little bit. So hope to see you here tonight at 6 p.m. You're all welcome to come and enjoy that with us. All right, let's look at uh, Revelation 18, although I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Normally I read the text, we pray, and then we jump in. I'm going to pray, and I'm actually not going to read the whole text today 
because it's big. We're going to look at the whole chapter of Revelation 18, and so we're going to take it, we're going to read every word of the chapter. We're just going to do it in chunks as we work through. So let's pray. We'll look at this text together. Father, we thank you. Your word is living and active. It is true down to every last word. God, and you have revealed in the book of Revelation much that we need to know. In order to be faithful Christians in this day and age and in, in, in this place that you have placed us, uh, we need to understand this message. But it's a tough message. The book of Revelation is full of imagery and language that often confuses us or baffles us. And so we come humbly today asking for your help. God, would you reveal to us the truths that we need to grab a hold of today so that we could live faithful lives of obedience, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've done all along here, and, we're, and by the way, Revelation is gonna take us up, to, uh, up through December 10th. So we've got four messages left after today uh, for, in the book of Revelation. And as, as we've done, we're skipping a lot of things. And, and we tried to be very intentional in the things that we skip, the things that are less clear, the things that, that you know, uh, I don't, I don't wanna just get up here and read a text and go, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we want to get into the things that we can be sure of and grab a hold of those things. But occasionally uh, we need to look back on what we've skipped so that you understand what we're going to read. And today's one of those days. As we go into chapter 18, we're going to talk about Babylon the Great. And you need to know what what the book of Revelation reveals about Babylon the Great. And so let me read to you, this won't actually be on the slides. Let me read to you from chapter 17, verses three through six. If you have the Bible in front of you, you can look there, but it, like I said, it won't be behind me on the screen. Verse three says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. So Babylon the Great, what we do know about Babylon the Great, and by the way, Babylon, I think we talked about this a week or two ago, Babylon was an ancient civilization that eventually led to the destruction of the Jewish nation. Babylon was the human tool that God used to bring judgment on his people for their unfaithfulness. The Babylonians went into Jerusalem, ransacked the city, destroyed the temple, took the Jewish people into exile. And so Babylon kind of represents Israel's great enemy. But the Babylonian empire no longer exists. And so when we hear Babylon in in the New Testament, and as we think about Babylon some 2,000 years after the New Testament was written, are we supposed to think of an earthly kingdom? Is this a, a, a literal empire? Will the Babylonians rise again? 
Or has the spirit of the Babylonian Empire been taken up by another kingdom? Or does this just simply point us in the direction of all things that oppose the kingdom of God? Those are the options. I think it's wise to start with the safest option. And remember my concentric circles from last week. Here's outside. The broad interpretations of Revelation are the safest. And then there's a little bit less safe and a little more specific. And then there's just foolishness. <laughs> and most, most of the teaching that happens today in Revelation probably dabbles in foolishness. Trying to attach these images and these labels to specific people or specific things happening in the earth. Uh, that is an effort in futility. So uh, I'm, let's start with the safest. If Babylon the Great is the mother of prostitutes and of detestable things of the earth, we can say for certainty that Babylon here in Revelation represents Satan's evil effort to undermine the kingdom of God, to attack all things that represent and are tied to the kingdom of God, Satan's ongoing war against the people of God, which we talked about when we looked at Revelation chapter 12. And then if you want to, if you want to, if you want to go into those more inner circles, you could, you could start to think, well, is this an earthly kingdom? Is, you know, some people would say this is America. America is the chief exporter of immorality around the world today. Um, I don't go there. I don't, I don't, I don't go in that direction. But you, you can begin to try out and test those hypotheses and see if, if they fit within the scriptures. Today, I wanna stay in the safe zone. I wanna say, let's look at Babylon and let's look at chapter 18 with Babylon representing the sinfulness of mankind. Let's say Babylon represents the rebellion that we are so naturally inclined towards in our distaste for what is holy and our desire for what is unholy. And if that be the case, then Revelation chapter 18 is a wake-up call to us human beings who are so in love with the pleasures and the allure of sin. When we look at chapter 18, we ought to be astonished that we have treated so lightly the things that bring about such wrath from God. And so today I wanna call us, I wanna, I wanna help awaken our affections to hate Sin. We need to hate sin more than we do. We, 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 we cozy up to sin. We treat sin as if it's something we can have this relationship with that's not going to burn us, that's not, that's not actually doing damage to the kingdom of God. We, we treat sin far too lightly have you ever, I'm sure you've seen people who, 
who had a relationship with um, dangerous animals that backfired at some point, right? Have you ever seen the lion whisperer? This guy is so fascinating. You can look him up on YouTube. He, ha- he has this like very friendly relationship with this pride of lions and hyenas on some sort of nature reserve. They're not completely wild, but they're pretty wild. It's not a zoo. It's definitely not a zoo. They're, they're out there. They're doing lion things. They're, they're, they're killing animals and all that. And this guy, he'll run up into them and he'll just wrestle with them and he'll let them, you know, like just open their jaws and put them on his head and stuff like He's gonna die. <laughs> this guy's gonna die. Like, I understand he has some sort of unnatural gifting to connect with these animals, and it's, it, it's amazing to watch. And, and honestly, I don't blame him. Like, everybody's gonna die. This guy's living kind of an incredible life. When you watch what he does and the relationship he has with these animals, it's amazing, it's incredible. But make no mistake, those, those are dangerous animals, Those are, to some degree, bloodthirsty, vicious predators. And here we are, all of us have a similar relationship with sin. We go out into the wild and we we cozy up to, we, we, we form this bond with the sins that we love, whatever they are, and they can be different from person to person. We need to learn to hate the sin that we have cozied up to. And so today I wanna give us eight reasons from Revelation chapter 18. You'll see this on your handout. Eight reasons to hate sin and flee from the rebellion of this world. And may God awaken in us a desire, uh, a desire to flee from the things that are bringing his wrath upon the earth. Eight reasons. Number one, if you wanna follow along on the handout, take some notes, the end of rebellion. The first reason that we should hate rebellion against God's commands and against God's rule over our lives is where this is going. When we look at the end of the rebellion that mankind has has formed this relationship with, it ought to cause us to hate sin and flee from this rebellion. Verse one says, after this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice. It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Here we get this glimpse. We we live in a place in time where Rebellion against God's rule over the, the earth and the people that he created is doing well. It's, it's, it's widely accepted, it's popular, it's celebrated, it's, it seems, at least on the surface, to bring nothing but good things. People have 
thrown off the rule of God and they're doing okay for it on the surface. The, the, the immoral nature of our own country, I said earlier, you know, America is like the chief exporter of immorality into the world. You, you go into the poor parts of the world where, and I, this is not an anti-America uh, sermon <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I'm very grateful for the good things that God has done through America, but let's, let's just give an honest evaluation. If you go into the impoverished parts of the world, America has not made those places better. They're still in poverty. What America has contributed, and not, not necessarily America as a nation, but America as kind of a people, what we've contributed is immorality. We've ex exported and made accessible pornography um, and all kinds of other things. That's not good. That's not good, right? We live in this time where there seems to be little consequence for stuff like that. What's the backlash? What's the punishment? It, it, you, you can just live this immoral life and be a part of this immoral system which is rebelling against God and it, and it doesn't seem to have this immediate negative consequence. And so let's look a little further ahead. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when this Babylon the Great, the great influencer of the people of the earth to re, who, who has led them, who has prostituted with the people of the earth and who has led them to, to rebel against God, there's coming a day when she will fall. Finally, the wrath which her sins deserve will come upon her. That's where this is going. The world is not getting away with its immorality. People are not getting away with the sins that they enjoy. There will be wrath. Number two, the second reason we should choose to hate sin and flee from this rebellion is the choice of rebellion. One reason we should hate sin and flee from rebellion is because we can. We now have the option. We have the option to rebel against the rebellion. We have the option to submit ourselves to God and to live lives according to his revealed will. Verse four says, then I heard another voice from heaven, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Come out, come out. The voice of this angel crying out, come out from her. Participate no longer in what she is doing. Leave behind the rebellion. Leave behind as you, you now have the choice to stop sinning, to submit yourself to God's rule and to live for his kingdom. I point that out because there will be a day when that won't be a choice. We are, we are entering in to the phase of the book of Revelation where the choice will be no more. And mankind will not have the 
option and the opportunity to cut off the relationship that he has with this Babylonian prostitute. He will suffer the consequences. When we think of just some, some natural examples, there are, there's a time, you know, as you go down the path of, let's say, law-breaking or getting involved in something that you know is gonna have dark consequences, painful consequences, there, there are forks in the road, there are times of decision, and there are, there are times when you can still escape you can still say, I, I can get out, I can stop right now, and I can turn back. I hate, I hate those TV shows where you have just like a normal person with a normal life who just, they're doing okay, and they, they just keep making these decisions that take them further and further into darkness and destruction and consequences. I'm not recommending the show, um, because there's a lot of things in there that viewer discretion advised. But I hated Breaking Bad. I don't know how many of you guys watched that show, but some of my friends were really into it and they were like, this is the best show. I'm like, I hate, why doesn't this guy just stop doing what he's doing and go back and love his family and just live a decent life? Like he had a job, he had a wife, he had a son, he had, a, and he just like screwing everything up. There, there are decisions that get made. And in our relationship with this Babylon the Great, this immoral prostitute who entices people to rebel against God, there are decisions that we make. And right now you have a choice. You can turn back. You can sever this relationship with Babylon. You can sever your relationship with the rebellion that the whole world seems to be going along with, and you say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna live for the kingdom of God. Make that choice while you still can. And choose to hate the rebellion of this world. Number three, another reason we should hate sin and flee from this rebellion is the sentence of rebellion. The punishment, the sentence that is handed down to her is found in verses six and seven. Pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. The sins of Babylon are going to be repaid doubly. If, if, if every sin you ever committed was immediately met with a consequence that was twice the pleasure if the torment and grief, to use the words of verse seven, that every sin caused you was double the pleasure that you received from sin, would you keep doing those sins? If, if, if justice came 
instantly, it, it might change our perspective. It might at least cause us to hesitate. The problem with, with the allure of sin is that there seems to be no immediate negative consequences. That is just ignorance, though. Revelation reveals to us the consequence. Revelation shows us this, this, this rebellion is going to be repaid double in torment and grief. Why? That's one question we should ask. It's because God hates sin. God hates sin, not because he hates when sinners enjoy the pleasure of sin, he hates sin because he knows the consequences. He knows that you cannot have lasting joy if you are in rebellion against him. He is the source of lasting joy. And if you continue to rebel against him, that at some point there, there is a necessary separation from he, the source of joy, and you who have chosen Rebellion, and so he hates it when we sin. It's just like a parent who, it, when 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 we have young children and they want to they want to eat the whole carton of ice cream, <laughs> it's not that we don't want them to enjoy the pleasure of eating the whole carton of ice cream. It's that we know they're going to have a tummy ache and they're probably going to throw up in their bed and the consequences are going to outweigh the pleasure. And so it is with God and sin and rebellion. He knows the end of rebellion. He knows the punishment. And he, he hates her for it. And we ought to hate her too. Number four, Another reason we should hate sin and flee from rebellion is the pride of rebellion. The pride that rebellion displays is a dangerous thing. The second half of verse seven says, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow and I will never see grief. This is Babylon the Great. This is the one who is about to receive double the portion in punishment for which she sinned. I sit as a queen, I am not a widow and I will never see the arrogance of rebellion, the arrogance of sin, the arrogance of those who think that they can join in the rebellion against God's rule and pay no consequence for it and be totally safe. She will be dethroned. Her lovers will all be destroyed and she will see only grief. It's because, James, it's because God, God resists the proud. James 4 verse 6 tells us God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Her arrogance, her overconfidence that she has, she, she has unshackled herself from the consequences of her sins. She thinks there's no price to pay, and yet it is that pride that will bring her down and cause her to suffer so greatly. You and I ought to be aware of the same pride. When we think we are getting away with sin, when we think we have freed ourselves from the consequences of sin because of our cleverness, 
that type of pride inevitably leads to suffering. Yet to the humble, God gives grace. Yet to the one who walks in contrition and the one who walks in repentance and sorrow over their own sin, God gives grace. I love the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. Let's look at it together real quickly. Chapter, 10, or, uh, chapter 18, verse 10 says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And hopefully you're picking up on the language here. Pharisees were the super religious people that everybody expected God was on their side and the tax collectors were, were, were the sinners. They were the people that weren't liked because they cheated their own people to get rich. And so you've got the good guy, supposedly the Pharisee and the tax collector, the bad guy. It says, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The point of the story here, this is, this is no superficial self-deprecation that the tax collectors participating in. This is genuine contrition. We know that because, because he's forgiven. He, God responds favorably to him and God is not fooled by some outward performance of repentance. He knows when repentance is true repentance from the heart and that is what we're after. In contrast, contrast that with the pride of rebellion in verse seven where it says, I sit as, she says, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. My lovers won't be taken from me is what she's saying and I will never see grief. And the result is she's dethroned. She's no longer a, a queen. Her lovers are absolutely destroyed. And she who said, I will never see grief, will see only grief. That is the pride of rebellion. Confidence that leads to utter and complete destruction. Number five, we had to hate sin and flee from rebellion because of the horror of rebellion's judgment. For this reason, verse eight, for this reason, our plagues will come in just one day. Pay attention for that phrase. You'll hear it several times. Death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of, of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of torment, saying, woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls. It goes on and on. You could read the, the rest of those two verses if you like. 
Here is, here is a reminder that the, the prosperity of Babylon in, intoxicated and blinded the whole earth because she seemed to be getting away with her sin and her rebellion, because she seemed to be successful in her sin and her rebellion, this seemed to the rest of the earth to be the right way to go. And now she has been brought low. She has been destroyed. And her destruction comes upon her in just one day. That is, that is to emphasize the point this Judgment will come swiftly. It's not a slow, drawn out, kind of almost natural seeming destruction. There is no doubt this comes from God because of the swiftness and the thoroughness of the judgment that he brings upon her. And it causes the kings of the earth who are so enamored by her ways, who were so intoxicated by, by her, her immorality, it causes them to stand back with horror. They don't even want to be associated with her. They're afraid of the torment that has come upon her. They cry out, whoa, whoa, the great city. They recoil in disgust at the judgment that her sins have brought upon her. Are you, we're not done yet, but are you starting to feel the need to separate yourself from the intoxicating, sinful rebellion that is far too common in our world today? Are you starting to feel the need to look differently upon sin? Are you starting to feel the the desire to, to, to not fall victim to her, her alluring deception, deception and, 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 you know, we, this, listen, sin, sin is attractive. It's appealing. To some degree, we all like sin. We all want, we all want to cozy up to her and to have this, this sort of, okay, I don't sin enough that, that, that I, I think I'm not a Christian anymore or I think that my salvation is invalid, but what's, you know, just a little bit. Consider the end coming upon this Babylon the Great. Number six, we should hate sin and flee from rebellion because of the futility of rebellion. She's going to fall. She's going to fall swiftly. She's going to pay an unbearable price for her rebellion. And for what? What has she gained? And what do we gain by participating with her? Verse 14, the fruit you craved has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping 
and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour such fabulous wealth was destroyed. It's gone. If you, the, the more effectively we can, we can place ourselves in the future, in the hour in which the pleasure of sin is no more, the more effectively we can envision what it will be like to witness this hour of destruction, the more effectively we will fight against sin in our own lives. We sin when we are convinced that sin is the best option in front of us. If you want, if you want to become more effective in your fight against sin, consider sin's end. There'll be no more pleasure. It is fleeting. This is, I, I've mentioned this, this text last week. I wanna bring it up again, Hebrews 11. The story of Moses, how he grew up in Egypt, but he chose to, to suffer instead with God's people. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Do you think Moses is glad that he did that now? Someday you will be too. Moses rejected the fleeting pleasure of sin and chose instead to serve God. If we will make that same decision, one day we will be infinitely glad we did. On the other hand, if we make the other decision and go the other way and choose instead to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin, there will be a day when we'll be infinitely sorrowful because sin's pleasure is no more. That leads us to number seven. The seventh reason we should hate sin and flee from rebellion is the sorrow of rebellion. The sorrow that comes upon those who live their lives for the fleeting pleasure of sin instead of in service to God the creator. Every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. And here it is again, woe, woe, the great city. For the third time we hear this exclamation of woe, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth, for in a single hour she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. This transitions into those, those who have walked with her in her sinfulness are, are horrified. But those who have been the victims of her rebellion, the people of God, this transitions into their rejoicing because God has finally revisited upon her the judgment that she deserves for the harm that he has done to his people. This is be the subject of Greg's sermon next week as we get into chapter 19, so I invite you to come back for that. But let me give you the last one. 
the final reason we should hate sin, flee from this rebellion, and follow Christ is the finality of rebellion's judgment. The nice thing about the consequences of sin here on earth and in this life is it gives you an opportunity to revisit the decisions you've made. You get arrested for doing something against the law, you can go, you know, I didn't like that. I think I'll stop doing that. And you can change the way you live your life. But there is a judgment that comes with a degree of finality that does not offer an opportunity to turn back and to make changes. And here we see an example of that in verse 21, that a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone. Millstones are just these big, heavy round stones that they would use to make mill, to crush grain and stuff. He picked it up, he threw it into the sea. What happens when you take a big, heavy rock and throw it in water? It irreversibly shoots to the bottom. And this is what happens with Babylon. In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and, all those, and of all those slaughtered on the earth. This Babylon the Great, whoever she is, she has become the leader in some sense of the rebellion against God's kingdom. She will pay. And so will all who have pledged their allegiance to her and instead of to God Almighty. Whew. I hope you feel the weight of that. I hope that you feel the need to turn from sin and while you still can, find refuge in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we have two options. Receive the just penalty that our sin deserves upon ourselves. That's what this text is talking about. That will be horrible. Or we can take refuge in the safety and the shelter of the sinless son of God who has received the just penalty for our sins on himself. That's the good news of the gospel. You have an opportunity and we have an opportunity now to find safety from this judgment, to find safety in the son of God and not only to be safe from his judgment, but to, to be given the opportunity to live lives doing productive gospel work that won't be destroyed at this judgment. The futility of everything that this world is building and everything that this world is placing its hope in 
which will come to nothing at the return of Jesus. And yet, his people are living lives that will have eternal fruit, will have eternal value. When we build God's kingdom, when we do his work, the, the fruit of that will last forever. And so here, here is the option, as absurd as it sounds, the option is to live a life of futility that will end in judgment or to live a life of eternal significance that will end in heavenly reward forever. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy and yet it's what the word of God says from the beginning to the end. That God in his, his great mercy has offered us this eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. That he, 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 he puts before us the option of not receiving what our sin deserves, but of receiving the fruit of the sinless son of God. Which will you choose? Will you lay down your rebellion and surrender yourself to the Son of God? Or will you continue to build a life of futility that will one day be erased in the judgment of God and receive his wrath against sin? I hope you'll choose to receive the eternal life that Jesus gives. Would you pray with me? Father, there, there's, there are no words to describe how gracious, how merciful the gift of eternal life is. And yet we confess our, our minds are so often blinded by sin and, and, and blinded by the allure of what is right in front of us. God, would you give us eyes to see past that? Would you help us think big picture? And would, would you cause us to hate sin because of its consequences, because of its judgment, because of its futility? And would you... Would you enable us to wage war against the sin in our own hearts and in our own minds and choose instead to follow the sinless son that we might live eternally with you and glorify you and, and, and do works that have lasting value. May we see our lives in light of eternity and not just in light of the fleeting futility of a few years here on earth. Open our eyes to see. And Father, if there's anybody here to, who today you are drawing to repentance and the receiving of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, may they place their faith in you today. May they place their faith in the gospel that Jesus Christ was crucified on their behalf so that they could be forgiven and given eternal life and could now live a life of fruitful work for the kingdom of God.
And God, for the rest of us who no doubt need to turn from the sin that we have cozied up to, that we have been become comfortable with existing in our lives, may we hate that sin today. Teach us to see sin for what it really is, rebellion against you and against the kingdom that you're building through us. And may we give our lives wholly and completely to the things that will last. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.